I was uh, just going to tell you that, you know, when I was at that conference in Toronto, one of the things that really ministered to me, my wife too, we talked about, you know, Bill Johnson had preached, and one of the things he said I really loved, he was saying that when God began to send his presence to Bethel, he said they didn't change the channel, you know. They stayed with that. They kept the focus on the presence. And that's, that was really something that rang true because that's the same way I have felt about it all these years. I, I don't want anything else but his presence. I mean, church, how many of those church as usual um, is not really Book of Acts Christianity? It's really not. And not only that, it's not getting the job done. And it's boring to people. And it's boring, I believe in some ways, it's boring to the Lord. You know, God's wanting heart worship. Not people sitting around singing a song that they sing every week and don't even mean it. And um, it's just a country club and all that. I, I think it's boring to heaven, in my opinion. And um, it's certainly boring to people. But anyway, God's presence is what we're after. His presence and His power. So I'm going to talk about tonight about the Bride of Christ. I'll share some things with you to my heart about these last days. Last week we talked about the blood moons and we talked about some things that are coming up in the next couple of years. I'm trying to give you some patterns of how God speaks. So I gave you that last week. We talked about the tetrad of blood moons and we talked about um, the solar eclipses, things that are going on on the feast days. I can't recap on that. It was a very in-depth sermon about the book of Joel. I'll pour my spirit on all flesh, turn the moon to blood, um, the sun to darkness, all of that. We're going to be seeing some things in the next couple of years that are along those lines. And so it's important. You know, I believe that Bible prophecy has always been important, but how much more so for those of us that are actually living in the day that it's unfolding? We need to know what the Bible says. And I mean, some of the crazy stuff that's going on, um, you can look in the world right now. You could go to YouTube and you could just simply look up the Weather Channel and look up things like strange noises, weird weather patterns. And there's, there's bizarre noises being heard in cities that nobody has a clue what in the world, where it came from, what it is. There's, um, there, there's strange weather patterns. There's strange cloud patterns. The, it's like the earth is literally crying out for the coming king. It's just like the birth pangs are stirring. And, and the earthquakes, we've seen an increase in earthquakes, their frequency, and their destructive power. And not only that, but um, bizarre things like thousands and thousands of birds just dying and falling on the ground, and nobody knows why. Um, same thing with fish, just nobody knows what's going on. And scientists are baffled. And, um, you know, not that long ago, that I believe it's called an oar fish, but you know those creepy, weird-looking fish that are so far down there that nobody really ever sees them, you know? The few things that survived the flood of Noah, they're still down there, you know? Um, anyway, they, there's a one called the oarfish or whatever, but it, it has beached itself, um, I believe, on the Virginia coast or Florida coast. And they were concerned because in times past when something that deep has beached itself like that and died, there was a major, huge earthquake and tsunami type of event that happened after that because they sensed those trembles down there. And so I don't know, but there's just a lot of weirdness. And then you're not only seeing that, you're seeing the unrest in the world. I mean, all over, you, you've got right now the, basically, I guess, a civil war of some kind going on in the Ukraine. And you've got just uprisings all through the Middle East. And, and Israel's got to deal with all this stuff. And with Iran and, and possibly Syria. So 
There's just so much going on in the world. Basically, everything Jesus said would be happening is happening in our time. And it would be something if we just looked out there and you saw one, maybe two things. But you're seeing every single thing he said would happen. You're seeing all of it at one time happening, just like he said it would happen. And so we know we're living in the last days. I don't have time to get into the signs. I'll do that next week or the week after. But there's a lot going on. There's there's some weird things with um, the Catholic Church and these Marian apparitions I'm going to talk about too. And there's just a lot of things that are preparing for the rise of the Antichrist. We're living in a time where the Antichrist could be fully grown in the earth. It's possible. It could be that the seals of the scroll are being popped right now. It's possible. But I'm telling you, the coming of the Lord is near. I think you guys really kind of felt that last week during the sermon, didn't you? Because when you see an ancient prophecy by Joel, the prophet that lived, you know, well, beyond, well before Jesus Christ prophesied about these things, and you're seeing them. Well, you're going to see them with your eyes. You, you know that the coming of the Lord is near. All right, so let me give you some scriptures and explain a few things. I'm going to jump right into this, okay? So I've been dealing with mixture and deception, just some things that I'm concerned about in the body of Christ, okay? And the, the deception part that I dealt with last week and I'm going to finish dealing with this week is the deception of the replacement theology where the church is trying to say, many people are trying to say Israel's unimportant and significant, and the church has replaced Israel. That's one deception. But I'm also going to deal with the anti-rapture attitude that people have. And that's another deception. All right, so let me read this. Revelation 19, 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. I want you to notice the bride made herself ready. Everybody see that? The bride made herself. That is our responsibility, and we're going to be without excuse. It's our responsibility to make ourselves ready for his coming. Amen? The great warning of the last day church was not to become lukewarm, the Laodicean church. Those that are lukewarm are vomited out of the Lord's mouth. It's a great warning to not allow yourself. The Bible says the love of many will grow cold. People are getting offended by stupid stuff. Um disfellowshipping themselves with believers. They're cutting themselves off from church. They're cutting themselves off from the body of Christ. People are growing cold. They're getting lukewarm. They're spiritually dying. And the warning was, Jesus told us in uh, John chapter 15, that when a branch is not bearing fruit, it's to be cut off and burned. You know? So the Lord is saying to us, we've got to press into him in these last days. Okay. Luke 21, 25. There will be signs in the sun, the moon, and the stars. We're seeing that. We're going to be seeing that over the next couple years. And dismay among the nations. Is there dismay among the nations? Perplexity at the roaring of the sea and waves. Has there been any perplexity with these tsunamis? Like hit Japan. Men fainting from fear and the expectation of things which are coming upon the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. That's a prophecy and we're seeing it unfold. And if, Let me tell you as Christians, don't be afraid at the things that you're seeing. The world's going to be afraid. And another translation says that men's hearts will fail them because of fear. Don't allow yourself to get in fear because you're seeing these, I mean, crazy things happening. The Bible talks about all kinds of stuff. But the worst of it is reserved for the tribulation time. 
Okay. All right. Verse 27. Then they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with power and great glory. But when these things begin to take place, straighten up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Looking up, your redemption draws near. Don't be afraid. Jesus is with us. Now the world, the heathen, the unrepentant sinners that spit in the face of Jesus, hate the gospel and all that, be afraid, be very afraid because it's coming. But those of you that love Jesus, okay, you're going to be delivered out of a lot of this. But not only that, the Lord will be with you for what you do have to be here. He will put you under his hand. I believe we're going to live in a modern-day Goshen. I really do. And we're going to be under the wings of angels. We're going to be protected in these last days. All right. Luke 21, 25. Truly I say to you. Now, this is some interesting scriptures. I'm not going to you know, say on them long, but I might answer a few questions about the end times right here. Luke 21, 25 says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. When Jesus was describing this Listen to how it's worded. You read the whole thing in context. That's why it's so important to read the Bible, that you read the whole teaching that's going on in context. You don't try to add to it. You don't try to take away from it. You don't take a little scripture out over here and one over here, and you try to make the Bible say what you want it to say. You don't do that. If you read this whole thing in context, Jesus is saying, basically, I'm paraphrasing, there will be a generation on the earth that will see wars. They will see rumors of wars. They will see crazy weather patterns. They're going to see an increase of earthquakes. They're going to see nation rising against nation. They're going to see all these plagues and pestilences and all this stuff going on. And he said that generation, when they see it, the generation that sees the abomination, it causes desolation. That's Israel. I'll explain that another time. When they, that generation that sees all these things, that generation will not pass away. Um, that generation will not pass away until all these things take place and they're going to see the coming of the Lord. So what I'm saying is, as Jesus said, that generation will see him come. We may be in that generation that sees his coming. If we're not the generation, then surely our children. But I'm telling you, it, it's close. Because there's too many, too many things going on. And too many people in the body of Christ that are um, clueless about this. So the generation that sees all these signs will also see the coming of the Son of Man. Does that make sense? All right. Matthew ten twenty two. But whenever they persecute you in one city, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel until the Son of Man comes. Isn't it something? We're still going through Israel with the gospel. Today, they're still going through Israel with the gospel. Jesus said that you will keep going through Israel with the gospel until I come. It's still happening today, 2,000 years later. All right, here's another one. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there are some of those who are standing here, he was talking to his disciples, who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God after it has come with power. What does that mean? Right after Jesus said that, they had the transfiguration. You remember that? And they saw Jesus transfigured right in front of them. They saw Moses. They saw Elijah. And it probably scared them half to death. But anyway, they were on the Mount of Transfiguration. But they saw the kingdom of God come in power. They saw it. And Jesus told them just before that, he said, some of you aren't going to taste death until you're going to see the kingdom come in power. And then he took them up on the mountain and they saw the kingdom come in power right in front of their eyes. Okay? So you've got to understand that sometimes people read this out of context and they don't understand what it means. But there is a generation that will see these signs and they will be the generation that also sees the coming of the Lord. 
because there's three-fourths of Bible prophecies already fulfilled, and the rest of it can be fulfilled like that. So let me give you a couple quick things. So what is God saying right now? What is going on with the body of Christ while we're here? The body of Christ, I don't believe personally, I don't like using the word the church is raptured because that makes it seem like everybody goes to church. (laughs) I know everybody says that. That's just something I don't like to say. The bride will be raptured. The bride. Okay. But what is the Lord doing between now and the rapture of the bride? What's going on? The Bible says he will pour out his spirit on all flesh. We're seeing a great, incredible outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And some of the greatest moves of God that has ever happened on planet Earth is in front of us. Before Jesus comes, I'm telling you, we're gonna, the church will see the same and even probably more powerful than what the early church saw when they were here. We're going to see more and more of the dead raised, creative miracles, arms growing out, um, major, major things. And some of the greatest revivals are going to take place. That's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on all flesh. The next thing is, the Lord says there's going to be a great ingathering of souls. You're going to see, I mean, millions and millions and perhaps billions of people brought into the kingdom. And it is happening. I mean, I don't remember what the statistics are, but tens of thousands were estimated to be getting saved in China just like constantly just coming into the kingdom. And, and I mean, we've, we're living in a time when I know Bonky's probably, you know, maybe retiring and passing things on to... Uh, Daniel Kalinda, whatever his name is, a wonderful man of God. But Bonky, I mean, he, the guy saw one million people saved in one church service. And that's a fact. These are people that signed a decision card. One million people in one church service got saved in Africa. I mean, we're seeing this huge ingathering of souls like the world has never seen. We've never been able to see it. And now in these last days, we're seeing millions and millions of people swept into the kingdom. In the, in the Muslim countries, Jesus is actually appearing to people. And visions, and, and they'll, they'll wake up and have dreams of Jesus appearing to them, and they're getting saved. Many of them. So there's a great ingathering of souls. And then the last thing I would say is the the Lord is preparing a bride for His coming. That's what is going on with the church. Do you understand? There's going to be a catching away. Whenever somebody believes it happens, it doesn't really matter to me. But nonetheless, there's going to be a rapture, catching away. Do you understand when that happens? That the apostles and the prophets and the, 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 I mean, on fire evangelists, you know, those, those that were the intercessors and the prayer warriors, and I mean the mighty, mighty men and women of God in the earth, those that have been in the fires of revival, those people are going to be gone. And so what's going to remain are people that played games. And so... As far as the power of the church, it's like the power, the, the authority and power of all that the church had invested in it is going to be gone with the Lord. And what's going to happen is the Lord is going to shift his focus back on Israel and he's going to finish preparing them. And that's the days of Jacob's trouble, what we know as the tribulation. But he's going to finish preparing them because the Bible prophesies that Jesus' feet will touch the Mount of Olives and he will reign from Jerusalem and the temple. So the next thing that you're going to see happen in Israel. So I talked about the church. Now I'm talking about Israel. The next things that you're going to see, first off, it started with the land. Remember? There was this huge war over the land. But Israel is now established. And God promised them they won't be uprooted again. So it's not going to happen. And then it moved from the land to the battle being over Jerusalem. 
But now Israel, they've taken Jerusalem and they're not giving it up. I'm just saying that they have made up their mind, we're not giving it up. I hope that they don't get pressured to give up some of it because whoever does that, woe to them. And not only woe to them, woe, unfortunately, woe to the nation that put them in office as well. So anyway, it went from land, the whole land of Israel to Jerusalem. And now the focus is going to shift from not only Jerusalem, but it's going to shift to the Temple Mount. And the reason why, there's multiple reasons, but Satan knows that Jesus Christ is coming to that Temple Mount. And he's trying to do everything he can to stop Jesus Christ from coming to that Temple Mount. And it's an Antichrist spirit behind all this, really. And so there's this war going on about the Temple being rebuilt. And that, that's where it's going to go. But I'm telling you that Israel is, is now, at some point in time, the next thing for Israel is that there's going to be a rise of an Antichrist. Theologians believe he will be Jewish and that the uh, Israeli people will trust him. He's going to be some kind of diplomatic figure. I might do a sermon on the Antichrist. Would that be good? You guys learn a little bit? Okay. And then... Not only the rise of the Antichrist, but also the temple being rebuilt. The Jewish people have to rebuild a temple before Jesus comes. They have to because the Antichrist, it prophesies he will sit in that temple and claim to be God. And then Jesus will come and throw his hiney in the lake of fire and take over. And Jesus is going to sit in that temple and reign for a thousand years. So what you're looking at is Israel, most likely in the coming days, they're going to go most likely through some wars and expand their borders through warfare. And they're going to build the temple. That's what's coming. And there's going to be a rise of an antichrist that will offer world peace and some kind of a peace treaty between Israel and the nations. That's what's next for Israel. That is the, you understand, three-fourths of Bible prophecy has already been fulfilled. So the next thing with the church is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the harvest of souls, and the bride made ready and raptured. And then you've got Israel. The next thing God's doing in Israel is rebuilding the Temple Mound and preparing for the, the last day prophecies about them, about the rise of the Antichrist and all that. I mean, we, you understand, we're at that juncture in time. Who would have thought in our day we would see these things? But it's happening. All right, so let me go into this. Israel will probably see war of some kind. Some people believe that Psalm 83 was a prophecy that there would be a war with nations that surround Israel. That very well could happen. Psalm 83 indicates the nations all around Israel, and all of those nations are Islamic, and they hate Israel, and they're constantly throwing bombs and everything else into Israel. And it very well could happen. And if there is a Psalm 83 war, it's probably imminent, and when it happens... Israel will expand its borders big time. But we do know that for sure, the Bible says in Ezekiel 38 that there will be a Gog-Magog war. And that will happen. So, three coming wars. If there is a Psalm 83 war, and if these theologians are correct, that's probably the next war. Okay? Expanding the borders. After that war will come the Gog-Magog war. That war... The Bible says in Ezekiel 38 will be Russia aligning itself with Iran, Turkey, some of Eastern Europe, and it's going to align itself with some of these Northern Africa nations. 
and they're all going to swoop down on Israel trying to destroy Israel. But if you read the Bible, the reason why people think Psalm 83 might be next is because of this reason, and it's logical. If you read about the Gog War, they said in that war, we're going to go down to a nation without walls that's dwelling in safety, and we're going to plunder their wealth. Well, right now, Israel's not without walls. They actually have physical walls. And they're not dwelling in safety. Are they? No. And there's not really great wealth to steal from Israel. Think about it. I mean, they're very prosperous. God has blessed them. But So the theologians believe that next is probably the Psalm 83 war where Israel really defeats these surrounding Islamic nations and expand their borders and take the oil's wealth from them. You see? And and it could be that Israel becomes the Mideast superpower. And they have all that, that wealth of the oil. I'm just I'm just saying what people believe and it's logical. Because at that point in time, then Israel would be dwelling without walls in safety and they would have great wealth. And you could see Russia sitting up there wanting that oil. Because they're bent on world domination. And so they would want that oil and they would align themselves with these other nations that are predominantly Islamic. Think about it. Iran, Turkey, the Northern African, some of the Eastern um, European, they would align themselves as a coalition and go down to destroy Israel. And the Bible says that God himself is going to smite them and wipe out a huge portion. I can't remember off the top of my head. Something like five-sixths of the army are going to be destroyed by God himself sending meteors out of the sky and slamming it down on them. Did you know that? And God did that for Joshua in the book of Judges. He sent meteors out of the sky, these huge rocks that came down and destroyed their enemies. And in the book of Judges, it says, more were destroyed from the meteors than there were by the Israelis. And I believe with all my heart that, that it's very similar to what God's going to do again. So he's, and the Bible says it's going to take them seven years to burn their weapons. That's how many weapons are going to be destroyed. That's how many people are going to come against Israel. But God himself will fight for Israel. It's in the Bible. That will happen. That's a fact. And when it does, the nations are going to be like this. Because they're going to know that God fought for Israel. Amen. And I believe that's why, that's one of the reasons why people are upset in America. But that's one of the reasons why God is allowing America to come down as a superpower. Because God is going to allow these end time events to happen. In times past, in the days of Reagan, if those nations tried to go against Israel, Reagan would have sent our military and did everything he could to destroy them. And, um, but there's going to be a president that doesn't do that. Because God wants to get all the glory. He's going to do it. All right. So those are two wars. And then after the Gog War, then at some point in time, the Antichrist is going to come on the scene and make a peace treaty. I don't want to get into all that. But the last war is the Battle of Armageddon. That is after the tribulation time, at the very end of it. And all nations, the Bible says in this war. So here's the three major wars. Psalm 83, then you've got Gog War, then the last one's Armageddon. How many guys have heard of Armageddon? Everybody's heard of that war. That war is the big one. 
Okay? Everybody say the big one. That's the big one. What that is, Satan has so possessed the world by this point. They've, they've taken the mark. They've given themselves over him. The Bible says they will worship the dragon. That means they're going to worship Satan. They're totally possessed by him. They're going to send all of their military, literally from all nations all over the world, to come down on Israel. Now you're thinking... There's no way little Israel would stand a chance against that. In the, in the natural, that's true. But when all the nations gather to destroy little Israel, they're going to be at the welling wall crying out, save us, God, because they know that they don't stand a chance. And the Bible says as they're doing that and they're crying out to God, Jesus Christ, <clears throat> it says that he's going to be riding a white horse. That's what it says. And he's going to split the eastern sky and they're going to see him and it says that it's going to be like lightning shining. It's so bright. It's going to just blind those armies. It's going to be like a flash of lightning. He's going to come. And those that have been with him at the marriage supper, me, ho- hopefully you, okay, just saying, we're going to be with him coming down, riding a horse. I've never been a big horse rider, but in heaven I will be, I'll be good at it. My horse will do tricks and stuff. You'll see. Anyway, we're all going to be coming down with Jesus and um, seriously, this is the truth. This is what the Bible says. All these military powers have come, and Jesus is going to come down on them riding a horse in midair, and he's going to speak out of his mouth, and the, what comes out of his mouth is going to slaughter all of them. And it's going to be such a massive death toll, okay, that the blood will run to a horse's bridle. So a horse, you ever seen a horse's bridle about right here? So you're looking at probably at least somewhere around four to five feet of blood from all those dead armies. Don't mess with Israel and don't mess with Jesus. Amen? All right. And then when Jesus has slaughtered those, those armies that have come against Israel, his feet, this is very important because the Bible is very specific. His feet will touch the Mount of Olives where he ascended from. And when his feet touch the Mount of Olives, it's going to split in two and spread out and form a valley. He's going to go down into Jerusalem, and he's going to go into that temple, and he's going to sit down, and he's going to take over the earth. And he's going to start making it like the Garden of Eden was, okay? Where Satan and the false prophet and the Antichrist are going to be bound. The false prophet and the Antichrist are going to be thrown alive into the lake of fire, it says. Yeah. Satan's going to be bound for those thousand years. But anyway, my point is, Jesus is coming to take over. I don't want to get too deep in all that. Um, anyway, but in America, in the days to come, we've got those four blood moons on feast days, a partial solar eclipse, and then a full solar eclipse. And all of it is saying something. I don't want to get back into it because I'd get bogged down, but it's a sign. I'm going to talk to you as I go through this about how God speaks through these things. Okay? Last week, I talked about God speaking through the blood moons and the eclipses on feast days. Okay, so that's one way that God speaks. But here's another way. In 1517, did y'all know that every time God's done something significant with Israel, he's done it with the church also? Did you know that? Did you know there was a pattern? So it's like a railroad track. Anytime the railroad track goes this way, both tracks are turned. Okay. When God moves with Israel, he also moves with the church. And in 1517, there was a Jewish rabbi that predicted that there would be eight jubilees until the land 
was something like the land taken, the land established, the land rejoiced, something like that. I don't remember. But the point is the eight jubilees. Jubilees, 50 years, okay? That's 400 years. So from the time he predicted that in 1517, General Allenby from England took the land in World War I. He took the land. He took it in 1917. Now follow me because this is really important. I don't want to lose you. But God moved through those jubilees. He said there would be eight jubilees. God, on 1917, broke the power of the Ottoman Empire off that land and allowed Britain to have it because through Britain at that time, there was this thing called the Balfour Declaration where the Jews could go home. That's how much, when God says he's going to do something, buddy, you better believe. He prophesied through Ezekiel, Isaiah, and others. He said, I will bring those Jews back to that land. And he allowed world wars to do it. And World War I broke the power of the Turks off the land, and now the land was free, and all these rich Jews started buying it, and Jews started going home. Now, 1967, 50 years later, another jubilee. What happened in 1967? The Jews took Jerusalem. It's a jubilee. Y'all seeing a pattern? When's the next jubilee? 2017. Right after the blood moves. I'm just telling you. I'm trying to show you how God moves in these patterns. And he does move in these patterns. He does. So I showed you the patterns of the blood moons. Remember there were three in the last 500 years. 1492. 1967. When they took Jerusalem. I'm sorry. 1948 and 1967. So that's, that's significant. But now these jubilees. So what is going to happen with these blood moons and what's going to happen with this jubilee time? We know something significant. I don't know what, but something significant. Could it be that America has to face some more uh, retribution because of trying to force Israel to give up Jerusalem or give up land? Could it be that Israel finally has had enough of Iran and says, well, Obama's not going to do anything. So you know what? We're going to do something. They go in there and deal with Iran. Could it be that they bombed Damascus? Did you know that Damascus is one of the oldest cities that, that is around today? And did you know that it is prophesied in the Bible that Israel will nuke Damascus one day? And it'll be uninhabitable? And you look at the day we're living in, Syria, what they've been doing, they've been trying to get chemical weapons and they've been threatening the Jews. And the Jews already told them the last time. They said, if... You launch chemical weapons at us, we will annihilate you. That's what they said. And it's in the Bible that they're going to do it. We're, you're, listen, are you seeing what I'm telling you? You're living in the day that your eyes might see an ancient prophecy of nuking Damascus happen in your, day, in your lifetime. I'm just trying to tell you how close we are to the coming of the Lord. All right, I don't want to get bogged down on patterns. I'll give you some more as we go. But just the Jubilee pattern today. So you're seeing that 2017 is another Jubilee. Isn't that something? Right at the blood moons. All right, let me move on. The rapture continued. I want to kind of just pick up where I left off last week about Satan's servants working diligently to try to discredit the rapture. So the two things I'm concerned about, number one, is that the there's a lot of, Christians and a lot of belief systems out there that thinks God is through with Israel and that the church has replaced Israel. And that's not true. 
The church has been engrafted into the vine, but God is not through with Israel. Yes, you have to come through the blood of Jesus to be saved. I do not believe that one Jewish person that has rejected Jesus Christ's salvation will be in heaven. They won't. They have to come through the blood like everybody else. Amen? God, the, Jesus clearly taught, um, well, the Apostle Paul taught that there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We're in Christ, okay? But God has a covenant with that land and with that people group, and he will do what he said he's going to do. He swore by himself. All right. So here's the other thing that concerns me is the anti-rapture. It's weird. Because my whole life I grew up in church and just, you know, there was really solid teaching. And seeing in these last days, listen, the Bible says in the last days there would be deception and doctrines of demons. And I've seen not just about this, I've seen across the board these teachings that are against the gospel of Jesus Christ, trying to make it sound like there's many ways to God. I've seen how they've tried to do away with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I've seen how they've tried to do away with all these other doctrines. And these strange doctrines have been creeping into the body. Some people may like this or not. It doesn't matter. It's still the truth. And last week I gave 12 proofs in the Bible about the rapture. But let's give you a couple things. Number one, those that diligently study the Bible feel confident that there is a rapture preceding the days of Jacob's trouble. Those that do not believe in the rapture, many times, listen to this, they do so based on a dream or a vision or an isolated scripture taken out of context. I've heard a lot of that. They'll pull one scripture out of the 66 books of the Bible, one scripture, and they keep quoting that one scripture out of context, and that doesn't work, man. You've got to look at the whole Bible. Last week when I did the thing on the rapture, I started in Genesis. I went all the way to Revelation. And I gave you the 12 patterns, and I showed you the whole thing. That's how you get good doctrine, not by taking a little scripture out. So in the third reason, they just simply have bad eschatology. But anyway, let me talk about a dream or a vision. I believe in dreams and visions. The Bible says in Joel that in the last days, God will pour out dreams and visions. Your um, young men will uh, see visions. Your old men dream dreams. I'm still seeing visions. One's, one of these days, I'll have more dreams, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not that old yet, but... I have both, so I guess I'm in the middle. So anyway, yeah. But dreams and visions are from God, but here's the thing. You have to weigh them by the scriptures. This is what I hope you understand, and as far as this church goes, this is just something I've put my foot down about. This is the way it is. Everything is going to come under the authority of the scripture, period. And let me give you an example, and I'm going to be very vague on purpose because I love people and honor people, and I certainly wouldn't want to say anything that would hurt somebody. I remember a dream that this, this man was sharing one time. And basically in the dream, which I'm not going to tell what it was or a vision, I'm just going to be very vague, but he basically said that those that are close to the Lord through what we know as the tribulation time, that it would be easy for them. All right. This person does not believe in the rapture. So because my first thought would be, well, yeah, it'll be easy for people that are at the marriage supper. You know. <laughs> but this person doesn't believe in the rapture, so they, he believes they're going to be here. This is a classic example of what I'm talking about. You have some dream or vision that said he, he's saying this one thing. Well, it's going to be easy for people that are close to the Lord. That sounds sweet, doesn't it? But you get into the Bible and you read what the Bible actually says, and Jesus Christ said this out of his mouth. He said those days will be worse than any other days that have been on planet Earth. And that it will be so bad that if those days were not cut short, no flesh would survive. That's what Jesus Christ said. Now, you take the Bible, 
and you take what this person says, they're in conflict. So what do you do? You have to go with the Bible. There's some people that won't, and they'll be deceived. You have to go with the Bible. Either the dream and vision was false, or he's misinterpreting it, but you cannot go with it. You have to go with what the Scriptures say. I'm just giving you an example, and that's where I stand. I stand with the Word, and if people don't like it, they'll just have to get over it. But because I believe that I'm grounded in the Word of God, I know what it says, I'm not, I believe that I will not be deceived in these last days, and I want you to not be deceived. Amen? All right. A few other things. Dr. Cho, um, he said, I just quote, I read this last week, regrettably, even though the Bible makes a clear distinction between two comings of Christ, some people are still mistaken in the interpreting of what will happen. When they teach that the church will go through the tribulation, they not only hurt themselves, but they lead others astray. And that's one of the things that's been going on. All right. Luke 21, 34 through 36. Be on your guard so that your hearts will not be weighed down with dissipation or drunkenness and the worries of life. And that, that day will not come on you suddenly like a trap. It will come on those that dwell on the face of the earth. But keep on the alert at all times, praying that you may have the strength to escape all these things that are about to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. See, there's been a lot of mocking and ridiculing about those that believe in the rapture by certain groups, not everybody, but they ridicule and say, well, they have an escape mentality. Well, here's the thing. I'm not trying to go off and buy a piece of land out in the middle of nowhere, build me a cabin down by the river, and grow a beard out like Duck Dynasty, and I get my fishing rod, and I live out by myself somewhere, and I've got this... I'm going to stay out here and hide until Jesus comes. And then when Jesus comes, I'm just going to be raptured out here. That would be an escape mentality, right? Okay. I'm not living like that. I'm here to do what the Bible says, to see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, to see souls saved, and to get a bride ready for his coming. Okay, that's not an escape mentality. But you've got to go back to what Jesus Christ taught. You cannot go with the other teaching that's in deception. Jesus taught these things will come upon the earth. But he said, you pray that you can escape these things. And he's talking about the tribulation time. So he said, you pray that you can escape these things. But you have people ridiculing you because you want to escape these things. You see what I'm saying? There's something off about that. All right. And it's interesting because Satan's servants have been trying to discredit the rapture. Let me give you a true story. There were some Christians... They went to this to research and to expose this, but there was a man by the name of Benjamin Creme, however you say his last name. But this is going to be a little weird, but follow me. He's deeply involved in the New Age. And what he does, this guy Benjamin does, is he'll go into a trance, and it's called channeling, where this demonic spirit will take over and speak through him. He's just a puppet. All these New Agers are coming, and this... This is how bad things are out there. This took place in a church, by the way. Anyway, so all these new age people come in. They're all there, and they're wanting to listen to the demonic spirit that's going to be speaking through this guy. And the demonic spirit calls calls himself Lord Maitreya. (laughs) Anyway, yes, I am making fun. That's ridiculous. So they... (laughs) So anyway, this guy is on the stage, and he he goes into a trance, and it's called channeling. This Lord Maitreya possesses him, takes over, and begins to talk. 
Now, these Christians were there to expose this. They're upset because this is taking place in a church. They're mad. And they're back there binding this stuff and everything. And they said that um, it, it did hinder him because they were back there praying. But nonetheless, finally, he started talking. Now, listen to this. They wrote about it. I'm just going to read what they wrote. The writer said, I was most interested that this Benjamin felt it necessary. Of course, it was that Lord Maitreya speaking through him. To spend the first 30 minutes, now that's a long time, of his lecture ridiculing and attempting to prove false the widespread teaching of a rapture. Considering the amount of controversy among Christian circles regarding the rapture, I was fascinated that Satan apparently considers the teaching enough of a threat to have his servant spend so much time opposing it. Isn't that interesting? So Benjamin was clearly, listen to this, Benjamin was clearly fulfilling Bible prophecy in Second Peter, and it quotes the Bible, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, where is this promise of his coming? See, they're mocking. For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. But the Lord is not slack in concerning his promises. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. So there's coming two, two comings of Jesus Christ, and there's no way they're the same. One, he's coming as a thief in the night to catch away a bride. And I read you the Jewish stories of how a bride, remember, will, will be waiting with the lamp by her bed and the bridegroom will come in the middle of the night. Jesus is coming like that. He's coming as a thief in the night to catch away a bride. And that can happen at any time. Based on Bible prophecy, there's really nothing else. You know, It's just the, the, when the Father says, now's the time. That's the next thing on the agenda, okay? But as far as the, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ, where he comes in clouds of glory, it's like lightning. All eyes see him. He slaughters the armies of the world. His feet touch the Mount of Olives. All of that coming, that's going to be where everybody sees it and knows it. Does it make sense? The first coming of the Lord is his, his feet don't touch the Mount of Olives. He's in the air. He said he will catch him up to meet him in the air. All right, and I'm going to be ready. How about you? Let me read you a couple other things. Uh, Today, there are approximately, just listen to this, 100 million American church members who have very little to no understanding of Bible prophecy whatsoever. These church members are from replacement theology circles. They don't teach the Bible prophecy, uh, don't teach Bible prophecy, and look at prophetic scriptures as being allegorical. Not literal. They look at it like it's metaphoric, symbolic, okay? Consequently, they do not understand the importance of Israel to the God of Israel or God's redemptive plan for Israel and the nations. So, now I'm not saying all of these stats are Christian churches because a lot of them aren't. There's, there's cults in here like the Catholic Church and uh, Jehovah's Witness and maybe some others. But I want you to think about this. The Roman Catholic Church worldwide has over 66 million members. And the Catholic Church believes that they have replaced Israel. The United Methodist Church, did you know that? They have over 8 million members and they believe they've replaced Israel. Or at least the church has. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, now that's a cult. Okay, that's the Mormons. But they, they have over 5 million members and they believe they've replaced Israel. <laughs> You're seeing a pattern here. Yeah, the Evangelical Lutheran Church, the Presbyterian Church. Did you know the Presbyterians have over 3 million members and they believe that, that the church has replaced Israel? The Lutherans believe that. 
at least the Missouri Synod. I, I don't know if that's all of them. But anyway, the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the overall Episcopal Church, Greek Orthodox, um, African Methodist Episcopal Zion Church. There's a lot of different names. United Church of Christ. But anyway, all these are millions and millions and millions and millions of people that believe that either their particular cult they're in or the overall church has replaced Israel. How can you understand end-time prophecy if you believe that Israel is totally insignificant? Because Jesus is coming back to Israel. And see, you've got to understand, right now the Jewish people are blinded and they're hardened for your sake. Until the times of the Gentiles are over. That means God is merciful and he's drawing in by the millions Gentiles from all over the world. And when God's done with the times of the Gentiles, this harvest of souls, he's going to turn back to Israel. And at the end of that seven-year period of the days of Jacob's trouble, it has nothing to do with the church. It has to do with Israel. At the end of that time, Jesus is going to come back to Israel. You've got to understand, the Bible says all of Israel will be saved, meaning that all those remaining Jewish people that are alive when Jesus Christ comes in, they're going to believe and all of Israel will be saved. So that prophecy Paul gave about all of Israel being saved will happen one day. So God's not through with Israel. He's got a plan for Israel. But he's also got a plan for us. And he's networked everything where every person has a chance to come in through Jesus Christ. Amen? Let me give you a couple more things. It's interesting in the book of Revelation that chapters 1 through 4, everything deals with the church. You ever notice that? To the church is such and such right this. Everything deals with the church. But in Revelation chapter 4, all of a sudden there's this door open in heaven. There's a voice that says, come up here. And he's caught up. That's the picture type of the rapture. And then you don't hear about the church again in all of Revelation until 19, where they're coming back with the Lord. One more thing about the rapture, the wedding garments. Now, I've taught on the priestly garments. You guys remember? All right. Those that don't know, you can, the Priesthood of the Believers series, you can go listen to that. But that's, the priestly garments, you had a layer of white. Remember, it was a, it was a turban on the head. It said, holiness unto the Lord. A white robe called the robe of righteousness. And then there was these pajama bottoms called the breeches. And these were the garments of salvation. This is the made righteous by the blood of Jesus. These are literal garments, I believe, that we have on spiritually. Then, on top of the white layer, you had the blue tunic, and the blue tunic represented the clothing of power of the Holy Spirit. Then, on top of that blue, you had a layer of gold, which was the golden ephod, and that represents the glory. Now, follow me. These are the wedding garments. This is important. It's important that you understand the Old Testament to understand the New. These are the wedding garments. So you have a layer of righteousness, a layer of power, and a layer of glory. These are literal garments. Now let me read to you the the parable of the wedding garments that Jesus taught. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent out his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding feast. And they were unwilling to come. These were the Jews of that time. Remember? The king sent out his son. Y'all following me? He invited them. 
but they were unwilling to come. Again, he sent out other slaves saying, I'm sorry, he sent out the slaves first and the son, I'm sorry. He sent out other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, behold, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fattened livestock, and I've butchered all this. Everything's ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention to him. So these, I'm sorry, these were like the prophets. These slaves, these were like the prophets calling to the Jewish people, but they were unwilling to come. But they paid no attention, went their own way, each to his own farm and another to his business. And they seized his slaves and murdered them and set their city on fire. And then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those who are invited are not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main highways, as many as you will find there. Invite to the wedding feast. Those slaves went out to the streets and gathered together all that they found, both good and evil, and the wedding hall was filled with dinner guests. But the king came back in and looked over the dinner guests, and he saw that there was, um, not dressed, they, there was a man that was not dressed in wedding clothes. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? And the man was speechless. And the king had his servants bind him hand and foot and throw him out into outer darkness in a place where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. So the point of the parable is that there's these servants that are being sent out calling to people. Okay, that's that's the, the prophets of, you know, and Israel didn't want to come. And then when he said, go to the highways and the byways, he's talking about now the church age. He's calling all people, all sinners, everybody to come in. But there's something about having the wedding garments on. See, this is the marriage supper of the Lamb. And we've got to have those, those, those wedding garments on, which is the priestly garments. Is this making sense? And see, in the Old Testament, whenever the priest, the high priest was getting old, they couldn't minister past 50. So he's getting old now, and his son is to succeed him. He would take his son, and he would take off his garments and put them on his son. And then he would water baptize his son and all that. But his son had to go in and stay for seven days, he had to stay in a holy place and eat there and basically stay there for the most part. And what that is a picture and type of is us having wedding garments on. The seven days represent the seven years of the marriage supper and us eating with the Lord. All right, this is what I want to close with. I'm going to talk about a religious spirit in a moment. But in these last days, as I mentioned before, now pouring a harvest and a bride made ready. Three quick things. In 1 John, it talks about three. these three things testify. The blood, the water, and the spirit. You ever read that? The blood of Jesus Christ, the water, and the spirit. The blood of Jesus is what makes us holy. The water of the word is what washes you with the washing of the water of the word. And the spirit of God is the anointing, the, the Holy Spirit. And there's a sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Those are the three things that's going to prepare us for Jesus' coming as a bride. There's a cleansing of the blood. There's a washing of the water of the word. And there's extra oil being poured in. I'm not going to go back into the, the parable of the wise virgins, but those that were wise had extra oil. See, when you come to church, you're not wasting your time getting prayer every time. You're not wasting your time soaking in God's presence. God is pouring into you extra oil because he's trying to prepare a bride. So you have, first off, you had the blood, and we enter our services taking communion. Everybody has a chance to get washed in the blood fresh. You, you have the preaching of the word, which is the washing of the water of the word. And then you have the Holy Spirit being poured out in the altar time, people being filled with extra oil. What's the Lord doing? He's preparing a bride. 
But see, the children of Israel understood when they, when they were eating the Passover, they were leaving Egypt. When they ate the Passover, they had staff in hand. They were ready. They girded up their loins. They were ready to leave. And as we're about to leave, I believe communion, there has really been almost like, I hate to use the word revival, but there has really been a re-emerging of the importance of the Lord's Supper for many, many preachers in these last days. And what it is, the Lord's Supper is a powerful, powerful way of having the blood applied to your life and, and, and making sure everything's right with you and God. And, and I don't have time to teach on it, but it's very powerful. And I believe that it's important in these last days that we're taking communion on a regular basis. And I believe it's very important that we're being washed with the water of the Word. You're not going to get that sitting at home. Amen? And it's also very important that you're having the, the extra oil poured into you. See, the wise virgins, whenever the rapture happened and the five that were ready were gone, right before that, they heard the bridegroom crying out. Remember that, that blast? They heard that. And the foolish ones didn't have extra oil. They looked at the wise and said, give us some of your oil. And what did the wise ones say? No, you go to where it's sold and you go get your own oil. You know what that's saying literally for me and you is that there's places God is pouring out extra oil. You go get your own oil. You go get your own oil. Don't wait until Jesus is right at the door and then be like, oh, so-and-so, pray for me. Give me you know, I need you. That's exactly what that parable means. That person's going to be like, man, it's too late. You know, I've got the, I'm ready. You know, I'm out of here. There's going to be people like that. I believe the parable of the wise virgins was not really so much a parable as it was prophetic. And the, and the scary thing is only half of them were ready. See, that's the thing. I believe that. I believe that was prophetic. Pretty much half of those that profess Christianity are probably going to be ready when the Lord comes. And the other half are going to be sent through the tribulation. And it's not going to be all easy either. It's going to be rough. It's going to be difficult times. But those that Jesus said, but those that endure to the end will be saved. So those that are here for the tribulation, if they'll endure to the end okay, and keep their faith in Jesus Christ, it may cost them their life, but keep their faith in him. All right, so the last thing is um, Esther's preparation. For Esther to be made ready to be with the king, remember, they soaked her in oil for months. Remember that? That's prophetic. God's trying to soak you guys in oil real good. Okay. And remember Jesus' first, you remember Jesus' first miracle? What was it? He turned water into wine at a wedding. Did you know that Jesus said this when he was um, at the Passover? We, we know it as the Lord's Supper and all that. He was there at the Passover with the, his disciples, and he, he broke bread and said, this is my body. And he poured the wine, he drank, gave it to him. He said, I will not drink this again until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. Now, Jesus appeared to them after that, remember? He scared them half to death, walked through the wall. They all screamed. And... Um, and then he was on the beach, you remember, and he cooked fish, and they all came. He ate fish, but he never drank anything with them, remember? Jesus' very first miracle was water into wine at a wedding. At the very end, when all of it's consummated, so to speak, it's going to be us with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb. And that's where, you see what I'm saying? You see the parallel? Jesus wants a bride. That's how I started this thing, and that's how I'm ending it. Jesus wants a bride. And a bride that's made herself ready. 
That's who he's coming for. Not a weak, defeated bride, but just like the children of Israel, when they left, they left with power. They left with, um, when they left Egypt, they came out. See, here's how it's going to be. The children of Israel came out of Egypt, and they came out, remember, they plundered the wealth of Egypt, and there was none sick or feeble among them. They came out victorious. They had been slaves, and God said, I'm going to make sure you get paid real good. Because Egypt wouldn't pay them like they should. So they came out with all this wealth, and they came out healthy and strong. And see, the first wave coming out of this earth is going to be the rapture. you got this huge harvest of people coming out. But throughout that whole time frame, people are going to be dying. There's, right now, there's martyrs. I mean, there's going to be a lot of martyrdom. People are dying. What's happening is it's like the leaving of Egypt. We're coming out of this world system. Does this make sense? Because if you read the book of Revelation, the end time world system that's evil and wicked is described as Babylon. And the people of God are going to be coming out of Babylon. Just like in the days of Moses, the plagues were coming down on Egypt. The plagues of God are going to be coming down on Babylon, this evil world system crippling its economy. And just like back then with Moses, the people of God were coming out as the plagues wiped out Egypt. Are y'all seeing the pattern here? The people of God are going to be coming out while the plagues are annihilating Babylon, the evil world system that the Antichrist will be over. So let me close with praying with you guys about a religious spirit. It's not in your notes. I just want y'all to hear my heart. A religious spirit is dangerous and it's a structure of death. And I want to lead you in a quick prayer and then we're going to pray for people tonight that want prayer, okay? All right. The religious spirit has different manifestations. But you've got to make sure, the Bible talks about in Corinthians, it says to make sure that you've pulled down, you brought every thought captive and brought it under the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that you've pulled down these strongholds. Well, so what happens is, is that there's, the Bible is very clear that there's principalities and things over regions, okay? You go to different parts of the world, it's different. I mean, in this one city over here, it'll be really, you know, there'll be a tremendous amount of maybe violence and gang violence and drugs and different things. And you go to a different city, it's a completely different atmosphere. It's a completely different spirit. It's a principality over it. But we all live in Satan's backyard right now. But we're also called to win. But while we're here, there's these spiritual forces. And one of the strong men of this region is a religious spirit. And if you don't bring your thoughts captive and you don't stay free from it, it can begin to influence people. It can begin to influence their personality traits, begin to influence their attitude, their way of thinking. And it literally can create a stronghold in their life. And the signs of a religious spirit is usually that they will really be in opposition, they're opposing the move of God, that's one sign of a religious spirit. They're really in opposition to tongues, they're in opposition to people falling and shaking. They do not like the move of the Holy Spirit. That's a religious spirit. They don't like it at all. It bothers them, it offends them, and they're in opposition. But here's some other traits of a religious spirit. Number one, if the religious spirit plays on all the basic things that everybody deals with, okay? Number one would be pride. Everybody deals with a level of pride, okay? Some more than others, but everybody deals with it. 
to some degree. And pride, looking down on other people, and what it is, a religious spirit will cause other people to, it'll play on their pride to where they're looking down on people and they're criticizing, fault-finding, and they're being judgmental of other people. That's a religious spirit. They're, they're prideful, so they're critical. And they judge and they fault-find other people. They fault-find revivals. The greatest enemy of revival is the critics. Amen? All right. It plays on people's pride. Here's another one. It plays on people's fear. Everybody, to some degree, has a measure of fear. You've just got to bring it under the crucifixion of Christ and live in faith, okay, as a Christian. But everybody deals with fear. So here's how it works. It plays on people's fear, and it makes them feel like that they have to measure up all the time. I felt that way, and so have probably all of you at some point. Have you ever felt like you had to measure up? Okay. That's playing on your fear. You don't have to measure up. You just simply accept what Jesus did at the cross. But because of fear, they feel like they're always having to measure up to like God's expectation, so to speak. And they feel like that they they turn into a very works base. Like, how, many, how long am I praying? Um, how much of the Bible did I read? How much witnessing have I done? I'm a da, da, da. And it's very works-based. That's a religious spirit. The Lord's more interested in your heart in a relationship. And they can become very legalistic because they're afraid. And so they feel like I've got to measure up and I've got to do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. And so then they start projecting that on other people. And that's legalism. It also plays on people's fear of those that are different. So I love you know, our church because it's multicultural, and that's how heaven is. Amen? Okay. But see, fear is really at the root of a lot of racism. Isn't it? Because they're afraid of somebody that's different than them. Now, in that specific case, it's all about skin color is what they're afraid of. But in this, when I'm talking about fear, I'm talking about a fear fear of anybody that's different. Anybody that worships different, looks different, they play different songs, they preach different, you know what I'm saying? Just all these different examples I could give you, but they look at that, and it's different than them, so they're afraid of it, so what do they do? They kind of persecute it. Oh, that's a bunch of weirdness over there. That's a religious spirit. It's playing on people's fear. It also plays on people's anger. Everybody has anger to some degree. So what it does is it creates this counterfeit, if you will, to righteous anger. But they'll get really angry about what they don't agree with. They'll look, they'll look at a revival and they'll see somebody fall down and shake or whatever, and it makes them mad. Why are you mad? Did the, did, did the person hit you when they fell? Did they say something mean to you? I mean, what are you mad about, man? But see, it's there's something in them, a religious spirit, that is angry. And it rises up in anger. And here's some manifestations of this. I think some people might deal a little bit. The anger, and they always feel like that they're striving. This is a big one. They feel like that they have to strive and work so hard. Striving. They have issues with that. They have issues with anxiety. 
and stress and frustration. You may deal with panic attacks because they're just they're stressed. Because they feel like they've got to measure up and it plays on that anger in them. They're angry because they're not what they think they need to be. And these people over here are weird and it makes me mad. And they just, they're just mad at it. And they deal with this anger and then they, they know it's wrong so they bring it under control. But it's seething within them. So you can see where a religious spirit is at work, can't you? And you can see where pride has come in. You can also see where spirits like Leviathan will link together with a religious spirit. And you can see where fear comes in, where fear will bring a link between Jezebel and a religious spirit. Because see, fear produces control. People want to be in control because they're afraid. They want to control everything. But a religious spirit creates a structure of death and infirmity. And that's what I want to really pray about. I think, in my opinion about this, I think that most people deal with a religious spirit far more than what they think they do. And far more than what they realize that they really do. And it's something that's in the atmosphere here and people's grown up in it and they don't even realize that they have an issue with it. And I believe God's wanting to liberate some people. But it creates a structure of death where people will have health problems that are connected to it, and they will have financial lack that's connected to it. Does that make sense? See, when a stronghold comes around somebody's life, it doesn't just affect their spirituality. A lot of times it will affect not only their spiritual growth, but it will affect their health, their finances, their relationships, their quality of life. It affects the quality of their ministry. It affects a lot of things. And that python spirit, too, will slither in and try to bring a counterfeit woman. But anyway, I want to pray with you about this. I want to pray about the pride, the fear, the anger, and make sure that God began to just dismantle those things. See, the Lord is wanting people to be able to love each other and worship together in unity. But for that to happen, there's got to be walls that come down. You know, and I, for example, I know just from their teaching that the Vatican, the Catholic Church, is a cult, and they don't believe in salvation the way we do, but I love them. And there are... Among all those millions of people, there's some really sweet people, and some of them have found Jesus Christ. They're just in um, a church that doesn't teach the way I would like them to be sitting under, but, but they're still good people. You still love them. But somebody comes in here and happens to be Catholic, I don't care. You think I pray for them any different? No. I preach the same word to everybody. I love everybody the same. I hug them just like everybody else, and I pray with them just like everybody else. And there's been Catholic people come through here, spend some carpet time. And so I'm just saying that God... Um, you can't put up these walls and be like, oh, so-and-so's into this. You know? Love people and let the Lord deal with it. Let him sort it out, okay? Because you can become spiritually, um, a spiritual bigot. It's like a, a prejudice thing. You know, and you don't like so-and-so because they're Baptist. You don't like so-and-so because they're this or that. And, and Satan loves that stuff, okay? So there's got to be a unity coming in. Because I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I want everybody to pray this out loud about a religious spirit. How many want to be free from any religious spirit? And not only that, but whenever the religious spirit is defeated, there's more and more of the presence and the power of God that's operating, okay? So everybody out loud, those that are live streaming, those that are going to be listening to this, just pray with me. Heavenly Father, I humble myself. And I ask forgiveness for all the pride as I've looked down on others 
I've been critical, fault-finding, judgmental, and debating. Forgive me, Lord. Forgive me for judging. And let the blood of Jesus and the cross get in between me and any sowing and reaping because of judging. Forgive me for the fear it's made me feel like I gotta measure up. And then my salvation was works based. Or that my relationship was works based. Any legalism. Or walls I've had up from people that are different. Forgive me from for ungodly anger, the striving, the anxiety, the stress, the frustration. Wash me in your blood. If this has been generational, forgive me for these sins that's been in my ancestors. I put all this under the blood of Jesus Christ. And in the name of Jesus, I break off my life, every work of the devil, every stronghold. And I command a religious spirit and anything that came in because of a religious spirit in the name of Jesus to go from my life right now and never return. I thank you, Jesus. I receive the blood. Wash me clean. You are faithful and just to forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. So I humble myself and ask you for the grace to repent of this and that you would change me by the power of the Holy Spirit. I believe I receive it now. In Jesus' name, amen. Just where you're at, y'all just lift your hands for a moment. Father, I just pray for these. I feel the Holy Spirit starting to stir in this place. Father, we just break off every person, every life right now. We break off anything to do with religion. The, the negativity, the criticism, um, looking down on others, all that filth. We just break it off. It goes right now. These strongholds, everything that's been there, things that have been health-related, I bind it, it goes. Things that's been trying to suppress finances, I break that, it goes now. Everything's been trying to hinder them back in their prayer lives. What's been trying to hinder the presence of God. Father, I just break it off right now. It goes in Jesus' name. All of it lifts and goes. And Lord, I thank you right now that the Holy Spirit come in and bring change. That the Holy Spirit come in and break through. Lord, where there was once strongholds, those strongholds come down. And now, the precious Holy Spirit come in. We thank you for it in the name of Jesus. We thank you for it right now. Man. Zach, can you uh, play some of that worship? And um, I'm going to go ahead and shut down the recording part, but we're going to pray for people. Listen, the bride of Christ is being prepared. The bride that's washed in the blood of Jesus. You know, you're taking communion, you're checking yourself, you're getting under the blood, you're getting washed in the blood of the Lamb. The washing of the water of the Word. 
and the extra oil. Jesus is prepared.